If you have been listening to Talking with Bungie, this podcast, a podcast associated with my YouTube channel, Death by Bungie, then you are familiar with Eric Barnes, who was a guest previously on the Talking with Bungie podcast. He's helping me a little bit, sort of mentoring me, so to speak, with my efforts to kill a deer this year on state game lands here in Pennsylvania. That's right, Bungie and I have a plan of going out there and tackling the state game lands, shooting a deer on public ground. Eric Barnes was kind enough to share some of his experience and tips with me in a previous podcast. And on this episode of Talking with Bungie, we're going to talk about trail cameras, what trees to select, what trees not to select, how to enter and exit the woods safely and quietly, how to hunt those clear cuts, those areas there, and how to find all of these areas by scouting using Onyx or other online sources. I hope you enjoy this episode of Talking with Bungie. I want to thank you first, Eric, for taking the time to talk to me here. You've been a big help for me, and I know for a lot of other people on the Death by Bungie YouTube channel when it comes to getting my, my head around this whole public ground scouting thing that we're trying to do this year. Out there this time of year, scouting, all that good stuff. I want to thank you for that. But one of the things that came up here is when we're hunting on public ground, you come along, I'm sharing all this information, but I'm keeping it close to the vest in terms of exactly what spots, exactly what parcels of uh, state game lands that I'm targeting or that I'm scouting. Do you have any tips for people about keeping spots a secret as you go forward and as you're scouting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, it, it, this is public land. This is land you know, wherever you're hunting, I'm hunting, anyone who's listening is hunting that anybody can hunt. So, you know, I, I really try to keep it within my core group of uh, buddies I hunt with. Um, and also it's key, you know, for, if you're starting to get into this, if you're not hunting solo, like you are for listeners out there, you know, you definitely want to make sure you're hunting with people you trust. I would personally rather hunt by myself than with somebody who is just going to tell everybody my spots because, you have to work hard enough to find spots that are quality on public land. And then for somebody else to, you know, blab it to other people, you know, that's, so you really have to be selective who you tell, whether it's somebody you hunt with or it's somebody you just trust. If you're, and if you're hunting with other people, you got to make sure that they understand, Hey, we're going to hunt here. This is our deal. This isn't really between anybody else. Gotcha. That's important stuff. And I think that like, you know, you, you do have a Facebook page, dual threat yep. outdoorsman and you also have the youtube channel going along with it we're looking forward to uh what i saw were some uh nice brown trout i think you guys have been catching here recently and hopefully we've got some nice video coming up on your youtube channel about that <laughs> yeah that's been that's been going good for fishing i still have a smidge of scouting left but um fishing's really getting hot and heavy so that's been really good now are you when you come when it comes to that social media do you limit what you put on there about the the scouting that you do um, honestly, yeah, we, we, we put out videos with that. Um, I always just say public land. I don't even, I might say like Hunting County. Um, cause there's, gotcha. I do a little bit, I do get into Cuyahoga a little bit. I, I haven't gotten to Clinton yet, but, uh, pretty much 90% in like coming. And that's pretty much as far as I go with saying like, uh, you know, where I'm at. What about when the season comes around? We're scouting this time. We're recording this podcast in the middle of April 2020 at the hopefully at the peak of the coronavirus epidemic here in the United States, hopefully. But we're we're recording this at this time of year. You and I have done some scouting up until now throughout the entire year so far. What about when the season comes around? As your season develops, maybe you've been successful with a doe tag. Maybe you're still looking for a buck. How does scouting change during that time of year for you? Basically, you know, 
from that October 10th to 20th period, which is kind of basically the October lull, you know, after you have that first week crack at some, some late summer, early fall patterns on bucks, and then you're kind of waiting for the rut and the pre-rut. Um, that's the time of the year where I'll either doe hunt on some of my small private parcels, or I will do a lot of my freelance hunting, um, which is where I'll find a spot that I either scouted once or have it scouted, but it looks good on the map and give it a shot because I'm one, I'm not ruining any of my good spots. And uh, two, you could always get lucky and maybe find, say, Hey, I'm seeing a lot of scrapes here. This might be another pre-rut spot or, you know, I'm seeing some pitch points and rubs, so it could be a rut spot. So even if you don't kill anything or even if you don't see anything, I mean, it's, it's positive because you're still able to get out, the, out and enjoy the woods and, and you're not ruining anything for later phases of the season. And you might even pick up some information And that tough to 20th period of October is normally when I lay off on the buck hunting and kind of just either doe hunt or try new spots. Well, basically the spots I'll hunt then is two, two, two spots. One, a spot that I had time to scout, but I didn't, I didn't really see anything specific where I said, okay, there's a bunch of scrapes here. I got to hunt during the pre-run. There's secluded food. I got to hunt during early where I didn't see anything that stood out, but it's still like a good deer area. You know, I'll I'll let it sit that time of the year, because like I said, I mean, worst case, I don't see anything and I'm still not ruining anything that I know is good later. So that's the first spot, a spot I've been to that, I just didn't have as much confidence in those some other areas. The second is where we get into freelancing is where I'm reading a topo map and I'm saying, Hey, you know, this is a spot I want to check out. Cause I, my, my buddy was messing with me because, uh, on Onyx, Onyx hunt app, he's like, what are you doing playing battleship on there? Because I have spots marked on places I've never been to. <laughs> just, right, 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 right. Just because I want to check them out. And, uh, so spots like that, if I say, Hey, you know, it's October 13th and it's going to be 60 degrees and I have nothing going on. I'll either do a morning or an evening sit and, and I'll, you know, I'll go in uh, with no knowledge. Usually I try to go in the afternoon because at least then you can kind of see uh, where you have a better tree, or at least you can see some things where you're not in the dark and you don't climb to the tree. Like, Oh shoot, I can only see five yards or oh, shoot. I'm really exposed in the open here, whatever. Um, and, that's a place I've never scouted before just going and based off topographical features and giving it a shot. I have not had any success doing that yet, but I have found spots doing it that I've killed deer at later or seen deer at later. So it, it definitely can be beneficial. And again, it's not, it's not ruining anything you already know about. There you go. Right. It's basically stretching your legs a little bit, getting some ideas. You find the right tree the next time, maybe or on your way out that first morning. That works out yeah. pretty good. Well, you, you bring up another really good topic when we're talking about looking at maps. And in this day and age, those maps exist online. They're great, easy access. You can do them through Google Earth, Google Maps, or the Onyx app. I think you and I both use that app. Can you tell me how you do the cyber scouting, what, what you look for online, if you, if you do that? Like, what are you looking for online? What information are you looking for before you go out there and put the boots on the ground? Yeah, I, I definitely do do that. That's that's really been a big help to my success the last few years. Basically, the, some of the main things I look for are, first of all, I look at points. If there's a point, that is usually just a, a magnet for deer travel for whatever reason. And from my experience, what I found with points is you either have three options. You either have a point that has awesome cover that could even be great hunting all season. Um, you have a point that isn't the greatest cover, 
but it does have some food and it is, it's the type of area you can shoot a doe at because it doesn't have like quite the cover you need for bucks, but doe will still feed there in the evening. And every now and then you find a spot that has both. Um, those always, th- those are just great. Those usually seem to be great. You're talking about a point when, if, if we're looking at our topographical map, a point, it's going to be like literally a point drawn on the map with those lines, correct? Yeah. Basically, um, two, uh, sides of a mountain coming together that basically form, form a point. That basically is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so you've got a flat area there where it ta- starts to taper off. For example, that's an example of a point some places. Yep. yep. Okay. I just wanted to sort of visually make that. Yeah. I knew this from the, the points that you had shared with me and that's where I learned it a month yeah. or so ago with, from your help. So I just want to make sure that that's clear to listeners. So go yeah. ahead. I don't mean to interrupt you. I just want to make sure that. Oh, clear. you're good. Uh, that actually, I'm glad you did interrupt me because that made me bring up something about points. I forgot to mention is even if, again, I, I'm just, just generally talking about a, a steep hill that where you come up to and you have a point meeting with the property or with the um, landmark. But what can be really even better than that, uh, and there's a few spots I hunt like this where you'll have a point and you'll have set uh, more spaced out topographical lines, which means you have a couple benches down, and those can be just really awesome. Each different bench can pr- produce a different deer traveling through um, on a pattern. So those are areas where you can like say, okay, I'm going to go and I can pick away at this area. I'll have the top first. Um, either I don't see anything or I don't see anything I want to shoot. I can go in second time, drop down a bench. And the other thing is too, you're kind of doing, if you're, if you're starting and working your way down these, these top benches off this point, you know, as you're sitting on one of the top benches, you're kind of also doing an observation sit. So like if you're sitting on the top bench and you see the next bench down, Hey, there's a buck that came through. I want to shoot. And it, and you sit, stay still, and you had the wind right, and you had check control good, didn't see you. You can come to drop down the next bench and hunt that buck the next day. Absolutely, um, yeah, yep. So those are, I mean, those are hard to find. I'll be honest. Like I said, I only have about one or two spots I know of like that, but those are spots you really want to look into if you have them, if you have them in your area. Obviously, uh, point points are things you'll see on a topographical map. Now, if you leave your Onyx or whatever your preferred app is on. The, I guess it's the hybrid map or hybrid has both the, uh, the, uh, topo lines as well as the, like the forestry trees. And I forget the name of the one, but there's also a setting. I think it might be just be the general setting where just forestry trees. If you see like a huge opening that's, that doesn't look like a field, but it, it doesn't look like it looks like scattered trees. That's typically a clear cut. Yeah. And those are a great source for not only early season and through season food, but also potential bidding with all these situations, let me also say this, unless you're freelancing outside of that, you know, you don't know exactly what you have till you go in there. So obviously if you're just going in there to hunt, you're freelancing, but if you're, if you have time to, once you get in there and look, that's when you can say, okay, you know, I can see the connection between this, this food here and this trail, this bed in this trail or this scrape line and rub line, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. This is why your phone looks like a battleship game is because you you look at that map. I sit there watching TV and you look at your maps, you're going through it. And I'm like a kid in a candy store. I'm like, Oh, I got to check this out. And I got to check that out. Yeah. Yeah, And that's when you go put the boots on the ground, you're not wasting your time scouring the entire area. You're just going right to what it is. And then you can focus on, you know, what's going to be the tree that I want to hang in or whatever. Right. Yeah. And that's a nice thing compared to 10 years ago is, you know, 10 years ago, you'd actually have to just say, okay, I'm just going to try uh, 300 yards up this hill off this road and see what I got. Well, now you can say, okay, well, that area, it looks like nothing special, you know. 
So you can, like you said, you can really narrow it down and eliminate a lot of, at least 50% of a lot of high percentage areas or low percentage areas, and then get into the areas that might be the high percentage good hunting areas. Sweet. Yeah. You can't beat it. You got any more on that of features you're looking for as far as the online? Yeah. The only other things I'll mention, I'll also mention saddles, which is basically you'll have a, a little, like a flat area that could be anywhere from like 100 to 200 yards wide to three or 400 yards long between either uh, two points or two uh, steep hillsides. And that's kind of a magnet for deer because it's a, it's a path of least resistance for travel. Yeah. So that that's really a spot where, you know, you have to, I, I personally probably wouldn't hunt one until I saw it was in there. Cause some of them, some of them I've seen have been really open areas. Some have been really thick areas and the thickness and openness of trees and laurel and stuff like that. You can't see until you're there, but that gives you a baseline to start on. Absolutely. You go there and you look for those well-worn deer trails because if it's a, if it's going to be an effective place that reduces that resistance of travel for deer, makes it a little easier on them to get from one side to the other, then it's going to be evident when you get there. That's what you go there to look for. Right. And the last big thing I look for, which is less with uh, landmarks, which you can, or less with topographical and uh, land type sign is uh parking areas if there if there's an area listed on a on an onyx that says state game lands abc uh parking area or whatever that's an area i'll tend to stay away from especially if the flat walk in because i'm like okay well that's probably where a lot of cars are going to be and if i dr- take a drive by during season i'm usually proven right on that just because you know that's that's easy access and stuff like that now occasionally there are spots where there's a parking area and it's right along the so- steep side of a mountain it's like Okay, that you know that might be somewhere people don't park. Now, that's one thing I do want to mention too, that I forgot to mention when you were talking about sharing spots. Is another thing, key thing is when I when I go to hunt an area, if I'm hunting an area where I have to access an area that has a parking area, I never park in the parking area. I always just park alongside the road, and usually I try to go on the opposite side of the road. Um, not trying to play body against anybody, but it's just eliminates a lot it, it just doesn't make it so obvious where i'm going now are you talking when you're hunting or when you're scouting uh, or both I'm, uh I, I guess both but more so when i'm hunting okay um, scouting i don't i haven't had as much of an issue because there's usually at least in the area main areas i hunt there's not a lot of people out at the time and if i park in a parking area where everybody goes that's that doesn't really mean much actually that's actually probably the time you really want to park there because that's more obvious whereas if you're parking along the road somewhere it might look like you're going to a good spot, but if you're not exactly parked where you're going, people don't know where you're going. I got that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause there's some people who do drive around and say, Oh, there's somebody parked here. I might try this or, yeah. or whatever. Or if you're not parked in the parking area, they'll try that and go hunt an easy area. And that's staying away from where you're at. So how are you, you gotta be really protective of your entrance and exit to both protect your scent on the way out as you've gathered scent while you've been there. And you've got to be really, really careful with the travel corridor that you choose. Tell me about your plans for doing entrances and exits when you park along the road or in one of these parking spots. Yeah. Well, the first thing is it starts right at the vehicle. You know, when I'm using the totes that I use to get my clothes out and stuff like that. And when I'm closing the doors, I am closing them very delicately because Obviously, the sound of plastic snapping or the sound of a truck door slamming, that's not natural to deer. Um, and deer that are out there, they know that game. So it, it starts with, with your interest. It starts with just being very cool. I mean, this seems obvious because we're hunting, but 
a lot of, I, I've seen a lot of people be click careless with it before, but just being very quiet as you're getting set up, dressed, whatever in the truck, getting all your gear together. Um, so you're not spooking anything before you even step foot in the woods. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the first thing I start with. So when we're actually talking about entering the woods, there are two things I will say. First thing is certain spots where I'm going up, if I'm going up a steep mountain to get somewhere on top or to one of those points I was telling you about or anywhere on top, there's some spots where you have to have, you kind of have to have the same entry exit because if you don't, you're creating a lot of extra work for yourself and you're actually in a lot of ways not helping yourself. Cause there's one spot that I hunt actually where I shot my buck. I have to go up a steep hill. If I entered an exit any other way, I'd be going through Laurel. I'd be making all kinds of noise. So I kind of got to go through that open area just to, just to minimize my noise. Sure. Um, so that's one thing. Also, you know, this is the main time I really check out the wind is because I'm not fully, my scent is not fully concealed as best as possible until I'm close to like hundred yards away from stand. Like if I, if I have a walk that's over a half mile to a mile in, you know, I, I, I don't have, I usually not wearing any type of head cup or anything. So as long as, so I usually just make sure the wind's blowing somewhere away from where I'm walking in um, or where I think the deer will be coming from. Gotcha. That's actually the most time I, I pay attention to the wind just so I'm not alerting deer when I'm going in, because like I said, I'm not fully close to, or, or at scent free until I'm a couple hundred yards from the stand and cool down from my sweat and stuff like that. Um, so that's pretty important for entry. And then obviously once you get to your tree, um, you really don't want to be making a lot of noise there. You have to really delicately be getting out of your climber, your hang on stand and, uh, just making it just make obviously make noise is super huge. A lot of people don't talk about it as much as they talk about like scent control, which is obviously important too, or, you know, sight or movement, but yeah, noise is, is super important. So just stealthily as possible, getting up that tree and not clanging and banging your stuff and everything like that. So that's pretty much the, the main things for me on entry. Okay. And it acts the same, the same kind of situation on the way back. You can't control the wind at this point. Do you spray down with additional scent free sprays, that sort of thing on the way out to make sure that any sweat that you've accumulated while you're there is minimized on the way out? Or you got any other plans? It, it depends. Um, if I, if it's a stand I plan on hunting again, um, you know, I'll usually just try to wear my scent lock out of the stand um, for as long as I can until I get to a strenuous part that I feel is pretty far safe away from where I was hunting and then I'll take a few layers off that make me sweat less. Um, there you go. But yeah. Um, and also just again, taking it, which is especially evening hunt after dark, you had to watch, you know, taking your stand down after dark, making sure you're seeing all you can see and not again, clanging and banging, especially if you want to hunt the, I mean, I'll say this, if you're going in and saying, okay, the weather's great this day, I'm hunting this, this, this day and I won't be back. Then I guess it really doesn't matter. But if you're planning on hunting it again, you want to definitely take some precautions. Now, the only times I, there's a couple of spots I hunt where I can go through a clearing one way and a clearing another way, like walk through a bedding area after they left there on an exit or enter that way in the morning and then vice versa in the evening. I can do that. But like I said, if I'm hunting an area where I'm going really far in and there's really only one open trail there, you kind of got to bite the bullet and do it rather than, making sure you have a different both just to have a different entry and exit and go through a bunch of laurel and stuff like that. And 
again, making more noise because n- noise is really key. I think I think it's really under over and overlooked thing that people don't talk about enough. It's also one of the ones that you can control probably the most. I mean, you're going to get a certain amount of sweat and work up just from walking the distance, going up the hills, going down the valleys, that sort of thing. The sound is something that you can sort of protect against and work on on your way in there. So Absolutely. I appreciate that. You had mentioned earlier also when we're doing our topographical scouting or online scouting anyway, and you get that satellite view looking down on there. One of the things you're looking for is clear cuts. How do you go about hunting those clear cuts? Do you have, because that's a really attractive spot when you're looking at those maps. Can you give me and some other listeners some tips on hunting on those clear cuts? Absolutely. Um, There's actually a couple I found this year that I really fell in love with um, due to sign that I found there. Um, One one actually is a flat out doe bedding area. So that's an area I'm probably just going to save until the rut and whenever the wind's blowing out of it, I'll hunt it not only because of scent, but also because that's when bucks are going to be scent checking that area. Oh yeah. Um, and then also another one I found that has some, some, some different, uh, brows in it that, that are, is of interest and also some heavy trails. I might be hunting early season. Um, basically, you know, obviously you can pretty much, you know, whatever way the wind's not blowing. Cause normally they're not super wide. Normally they're 50, hundred yards max. And normally it's smaller than that. So you can pretty easily get downwind of it as long as you have sufficient trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and also swirling winds if you don't have that. <laughs> but yeah. that's another conversation for our next topic. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, basically, you know, the biggest thing I do is get get downwind as much as possible. Um, and also just wherever you see that heavy trail coming in, you know, set up within your comfortable bow range as much as you can with the available trees. It's almost impossible to hunt in it because typically from what I've seen, you know, normally clear cuts are areas where they're growing up with thick brush and also smaller trees. And those smaller trees, nine times out of ten, you can't get a stand of them anyways. Um, right. So I'd I'd say I'd say of all the clear cuts I've found, I've I've maybe found four or five trees that are even huntable. Um, and and if they're in a bedding area, you're you're really risking it going in there unless you get in there super early or it's more of an evening bedding area and they come in there to feed and then lay down. So it just depends on what it is. Sitting in them, I totally agree with you. Hunting from the ground or something like that with archery equipment is a really difficult scenario given how thick those things are. You're just not going to get shots down in there really. But are you looking for uh, trees? You're not looking for trees right alongside that clear cut either. You're looking off in, you know, a couple of trees in, so to speak. No, I'm I'm looking right on the edge of that clear cut. Okay, because usually there there are a, there could either be a really strong tip trail or a couple converging trails that you can find, which I have found this year that are that are basically the main entry point. Um, and I, I've hunted a few clear cuts before, but I, the ones I found this winter I think are, have the best potential of any ones I've that are including the ones I've hunted before. So I'll be Next. doing a little more of that this year than I have been. Boy, that gets you excited, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. When we're talking also, are you looking for the trees? That's one thing that I did. A, I did a vlog on that here recently with my efforts yeah. to find the appropriate tree. You got some tips for me on that topic? Do you find in the right tree? Yeah, there's a couple I look for. First of all, if I if I, I, I'll also look for a uh, nice, basically a nice straight telephone pole, um, just something that's very straight, like a like a nice oak or. Um, oaks are typically what I go for where I can climb and get super high. Cause when, when you have a tree with no cover, that's like a telephone pole, you got to get at least 20 foot, preferably closer to 25 foot. So you're not as easily picked. Um, so that's one category I do look for. Um, this year I'm actually going to try to get into some hang and hunt stuff like you're doing with a hang on stand. 
gotcha. I've hung out in the condor for years, but um, there's a lot of trees that have super, super good cover um, where I want to get a hang on it and where I can just, you know, strap some steps, climb them up and have a really good bit of cover. But I can also find cover in trees for climbers as well. Um, if I have a tree with a lower canopy, that's only about 15, uh, at least 20, 25 foot high. I can climb right up to that top and have some backdrop and cover and forefront cover where I can get away with some movement that I couldn't get away with at that level on a bear tree that I was discussing with the first option. Right, right. You're using trail cameras. We talked about that last time as well. Do you have some uh, some more tips for us about how you uh, use your trail cameras and the value of those? Yeah. Um, I personally think they're really valuable. Um, you know, even if you have an area where you don't kill anything, uh, at or you only get to hunt a few times and don't see anything in those sits, you know, those trail cameras will give you that year of intel. If you get them out in the summer and leave them in until, you know, after gun season in December or even into January, whenever, um, you can pretty much see the, that whole year of deer movement through that area. You know, even if you screw something up by getting in there and possibly even set, you know, you're, if you're planning on doing public land hunting for the near future, you know, that is huge intel. I'll even tell you, you know, back to the Buckeye shot. Um, Two years ago, when I first found that spot, I was like, oh, man, this this could be good. I had a giant on camera this summer, and like a lot of areas, they disappear. Um, but, uh, you know, I hunted that early season a few times, and I didn't see anything. But then once I realized the year went through, I was like, okay, pre-rut, this spot is it is gold because there's a huge primary scrape there. And I didn't know that the first year because I hadn't hunted it. But once I got that intel, that set me up to do what I did this year. So, yeah, I kind of, in a way, sacrificed that first season because I didn't really know when the deer moved through that area. But, you know, I just think it's huge to get that camera in there and uh, let it sit all year. And then, then for next year, you know what you're looking at. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, that that and you've been running cameras. Now, how many years you've been running them on some of these locations? Oh, going on three years. So you're looking at three years of intel over that period of time in similar locations around the same location? In yeah, some of those locations, yeah. Yeah, and most of the locations, other than a few, they've pretty much been consistently the same time every year. Have you been seeing some nice bucks that uh, show up one year, don't show up the next, and you're wondering what happened? <laughs> oh, yep, that, that, but that's just public land. Right. I mean, you know, even when you're in the best spots, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can't control, but you can definitely put yourself in a position to be successful from time to time, which for public, that's really all you can ask for. Right, right. And we're here in Pennsylvania, we only get one buck tag a year anyway. So filling that with a nice buck, nothing wrong with that. I can tell you no. from my experience on private ground that inevitably I had really nice bucks show up on cameras that didn't show up the next year either. And you always wonder what yeah. happened to those. And it's just, yeah, the, it's the nature of deer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and it can also tell you like, Hey, if you have this camera up here and you have a cracks on a summer Intel, and very few side during the very little side during the season. Hey, you know, mark that spot off your list and say those deer are not moving that far during the season. And then you can kind of quote unquote try it again. And maybe you know within a year or two you can get on where they're coming from or where a core area is during a phase of season for those deer you were getting during the summer. Right, right, right. And that's where you just start all over again the next year. You go back to those maps. Where is this deer going during the season? Why is this area that I thought he was going to be in not attractive? Where else? What around here is attractive? That's what to do. Yeah. And basically what my strategy is, is between turkey season and no later than July. I like to get all my cameras out throughout as I have, as my time allots me through my spots. And normally what I do is I pick days, the first two weeks of September, they're either super windy 
where my noise and sets blowing and dissipating quicker or rainy days where my set just washes away. And that's when I check cameras because that's closer to season and that's, you know, higher impact time. And basically when I check my camera, I always wipe it down the set free wipe. That doesn't get hundred percent. I set away, but that, uh, gets a lot of it away. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been there if I didn't use that. So, and that's just a cheap thing anybody can do. Sure. It's um, light. It doesn't take up a lot of space in your backpack or anything. No, nope. Um, and then basically after that September camper check, you know, I, if I see an area where I think, okay, this, this could be an early season spot, you know, Hey, I'm going to give, I'm going to give a shot or two. But, uh, basically after that, I just, I don't check any, any of my cameras after September until the day I hunt it. And if it's like, it's pre-road or rut phase location, I hunted the day, don't see anything or don't see what I want to shoot. If I check my camera and the activity is still really hot, I'll be back in there a couple days later, you know? Um, because every time you go in there, especially during season, you know, you're, that's another intrusion where you're leaving scent, you're leaving down ground disturbance time that you were in there. So that's why I, I, on public land, I don't just check my cameras during season. I just, especially if I have Intel before, like, for example, the spot, again, the spot I shot my buck, it, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have done me any good to check that after the first week of season, because I know when the bucks were going to show up there. Right. So yeah, that, that's what I do. I pretty much get the Intel throughout the summer, you know, worst case scenario, I find what deer are in the area if they're not using that specific area and then decide where I'm going to hunt there. And then once I hunt there, I pull the camera then or the card then and, uh, decide if I'm going to hunt it again or not that season. And I still leave that camera up at least through gun season to see that whole season of movement. If it is, or is it there and either add that spot to the list and hunt it a different time or take, cross off the list and try somewhere else. How are you making out with theft and stuff like that? You ever had cards stolen or worse yet a camera stolen? Knock on wood. No. Okay. <laughs> um, what I do though, is I, I, I buy this, kind of expensive but i do buy a 20 dollar um i think it's i think it's made by master lock it's called a, it's actually its name is actually a python cable lock and that just slides right through the uh there's two there's most cameras you buy will have holes either at the top corners or the bottom corners and i just lock that to the tree and i keep i, I keep the keys all together and in one spot that i keep with my my scouting gear because i usually put them in uh before season take them out after season so i never have with my hunting gear um and knock on wood, I've, I've never, I've thankfully never had anything stolen. I've had uh, two hunters on camera uh, once before season a few weeks, a few years ago, and that's it. So the less people you're getting, you know, the, the better chance you know you're getting on deer. Oh, that's a good point too. Yeah, you're, you're, you would see, low, you know, pictures of hunters making their way through there too to know yeah. what kind of pressure you've got if you're leaving those cameras out during right. the season. I see that. Yeah. And the other thing too is if you if you know, hey, this this is a pre-rut or rut spot. I know this, you know, you could pretty much, a lot of cameras have the, uh, uh, lock, uh, or sorry, not a lock, a hole hole where a lock can be used that also goes through the, the part where you can open your camera card. So you can pretty much not only ensure your camera won't be stolen, but ensure your card won't be stolen. Oh, I got a lot of cameras. Right. Right. Which if, if you're in an area where, you know, it's probably not going to happen. You know, I, I, there's some areas I leave it. I, I pretty much just, just lock it through the camera because then that's extra time you're spending to change your card before a hunter or whatever. But if you're, if you're worried about that and you know, you won't be there for a while, that's a, that's a good practice to do. I went through a bad year where I had four or five different camera cards stolen on four or five different cameras. And 
nobody ever stole a camera, but I, you know, it's kind of disappointing. You come in there getting ready for your season to start and there's no card in your camera. And that tells you somebody trespassed right before the season. Yeah, that sucks. That's yeah, good. it is what it is. But I'm glad to hear that on public ground. Now, most of your cameras, am I right though, that you, most of your cameras are more than, you know, half a mile from the road. I mean, they're out pretty good. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, the closest, the closest spots I hunt are four to 600 yards off the road, but most, uh, but after that, yeah, you're, you're half a mile. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, this year, I actually did buy my – a couple weeks ago, I did buy my first cell phone camera. That was my and, next question. Okay. And, I, and I'm debating <laughs> if I'm going to buy another one because um, I already have a spot in mind where I want to put that. But, I mean, that's the best of both worlds because not only are you minimizing the disturbance, but you're also uh, you're also getting that intel. So, if, like, let's say you take a spot to run a pre-run spot. Well, first week of season, you have a buck shot two evenings in a row. But, but then you have a chance to hunt that buck when you would have never thought you would have. So. Right, with more recent information too. Yeah, yeah, and with those cameras, um, I'll, I'll just be locking them right at the card spot because I won't be pulling that camera until I, or pulling that card until I pull the camera because I won't need to pull the card. Oh, perfect. So, yeah, yeah. So that that I can just lock everything up. So that'll be nice. Man, well, I wish you the absolute best air going forward here. I hope you, I wish you the best for your trout season coming up here and spring gobbler if you do get out. I'll be out. <laughs> well, I hope you got as much out of that episode of Talking with Bungie as I did. It certainly was a pleasure once again to speak with Eric Barnes. Go back and listen to the previous episode if you haven't heard that before. And until next time, all hail Bungie. <laughs>